Okay. All right. Well, the, the book of Ruth, it's a glorious book. Um, and, you know, surprisingly, uh, the book of Ruth, it's, it's actually one of the more overlooked books of the Old Testament, and particularly by pastors. Pastors don't, don't like to preach from Ruth very often. I was just kind of scanning the web this week, and I was looking for uh, just different content on Ruth and um, just different. Um, I was looking to see, hey, maybe there's a sermon I could listen to. And honestly, I wasn't finding a whole lot. On, on the book of Ruth. And um, I started to uh, sort of see some of the, the reasons, I was, was kind of looking for some of the reasons why um, it wouldn't be a, a book that's preached more. And, and I think that a lot of pastors and, and really just a lot of Christians um, have asserted Ruth to be sort of this, this fluffy book, uh, this fluffy book that's for primarily women. And others have obliterated it with, with some just really bad Bible studies. Um, no, the, the point of Ruth, it, it's not to encourage ladies to find your perfect Boaz. Uh, it, it's not written uh, to pray that your husband can become more like Boaz. Boaz is awesome, but that is not the reason why uh, Ruth was written. Yes, ladies, it was written for your encouragement, for our encouragement. Men, this is, this is a book for you too. It's, it's a book for all of us. And so it's a privilege for us, the people of God. I'm, I'm really happy that, that Sam decided to teach through the, the book of Ruth for the past four Sundays, the past three Sundays, um, because, wow, it is just an incredible book. And it's one of the 66 books of the Bible. It's inspired by God. And that means that it's a book that is sufficient for our encouragement and godliness. And it's sufficient for our salvation. It, it helps us to, uh, to live the Christian life. And so my prayer uh, this morning, and my prayer from really this entire time that y'all have been working through this series is that we would hear what God wants us to hear from the book of Ruth, that we would take away what he wants us to take away from the book. And so, so here we are. Uh, we're going to plunge right back into the book for yet another Sunday. And so um, we, really, we really need to ask the Lord for his help. And so I'm just going to pray again quickly, um, and I'm going to ask God to, to help me um, to be faithful to Ruth, and uh, we'll get into this. So let me pray. Father God, you, you are an amazing God. And we are in a time in the world that just seems like chaos. I mean, can 2020 get any worse across the globe? Lord, I know in my country, in, in America, there's just so much division. This is just not, this isn't the country that, that I grew up in. There's just so much hatred and, and, and vitriol and divisiveness. And God, I need your encouragement. I need to be reminded that you sit enthroned in the heavens and you do whatever you please and you do it for your glory and for our good. And Lord, I know that those of us uh, in, in Malaysia, um, those at IBCBI in Malaysia, it's, it's not much better over there. Chaos in the, in the government, um, about to enter into another lockdown. Lord, we want to cry out to you for mercy. And God, I just pray that you would just, you would ground us right here in your word. 
Your word has stood the test of time. Your word is here for us today. And so I pray that you would just quiet our hearts, our angst, and that we would just focus in on your word. And so, Lord, I pray that in my weakness, you would show your glory in the preaching of your word. And we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So today I get to, I get to round us off in IBCBI's journey through Ruth. Um, but what I want to do, um, if, if I can do this, is I want to fly through the book again. I want to fly through the book again in summary fashion. And the reason that I want to do this is really by way of reminder, because I think we just, we get so much content. We read so much of the word. There's already been three Sundays and it's easy to forget what we've covered. And maybe some of you have missed one or two of the Sundays. And so um, I think it'd be really important that we just kind of fly through this in summary fashion. And so while I do this, um, I would encourage you to open up your Bibles, um, open up your Bibles, follow along. I'm going to kind of dive in and out of the chapters. Um, and then at the end, what we're going to do is we're going to get into some, some crucial takeaways, some big overarching themes uh, from the story of Ruth. Okay. So let us, let us just kind of 20,000 foot view. Let's, let's skim, uh, through the book of Ruth. Okay, so as you've hopefully seen, the book of Ruth is, is just a captivating story of redemption, right? Uh, the story begins with, with great tragedy. We have this, this lady, Naomi. She's an Israelite woman who has sojourned into the foreign land of Moab with her husband Elimelech and their two sons. And they left Israel, their home behind. They left Israel behind in a famine. And so we have to kind of think, Things must have been really bad for Elimelech and his family to leave Israel and to settle his family in a pagan land. Moab was this pagan land. So things were really bad. Uh, one pastor, Jonathan Rourke, he, uh, he rightly notes that this period in Israel was one of unfettered self-determinism. Unfettered self-determinism. And I think the book of Judges says it better. Listen to what the book of Judges says. Judges 21, 25 says that in those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So this was a lawless time. People were just doing whatever they wanted. And so things were so bad in Israel that the pagan land of Moab seemed like a better option. Moab. Moab was this, this nation that was birthed out of incest. They did not get off on the, wrong, on the right start. They, they started from an incestuous relationship between Lot and his daughter. And so here, Elimelech and his family, they, they come to Moab and they settle as, as sort of refugees. And quickly their sons, they marry women from this foreign land. And then after a span of about 10 years of living there, 10 years, Tragedy just strikes hard on Naomi and her husband and her two sons, they die. So here she is, she's, she's widowed, she's a refugee in a foreign pagan land, and she has nothing left except for her two widowed daughters-in-laws. And so Naomi quickly realizes that she can't stay in Moab. Like all of the cards are stacked against her. She's an older widow, she can't work, and there's literally nothing for her in Moab. And she hears that her homeland of Israel is kind of doing better. And so she decides to return to Israel. And her daughter-in-laws, the widowed daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Orpha, with this display of incredible loyalty, they tell Naomi, they're going with her. Like, we are going with you. We can't just let you go back alone. 
And Naomi, she's like, I don't think that's a good idea. And so she pleads with them to stay in Moab. And in sort of paraphrase, she, she basically says to them, like, if you come to Israel with me, this is a suicide for your future. Like you're already disadvantaged, you're widows, and you would be foreigners in this lawless land filled with men who would, who would seek to harm you, seek to take advantage of you. There is no future in Israel. This is hopeless. Well, they, they decide to stay the course. And so they, they get on this journey with Naomi. And in the journey, in the middle of the journey, Naomi, she, she reasons with them again, turn back. Like, I am too old to have sons. If my sons grow, if I have sons and they grow up, you're going to have to wait until they're older to marry them. Like, this is crazy. Turn around. And one of the two daughters-in-laws, um, Orpha, she finally seems to agree. She's like, yeah, that makes sense. And so she turns around and she returns to Moab. But Ruth, Ruth stands firm. And she, she says this incredible statement of loyalty and faith to Ruth. If you look at chapter one, verses 16 and 17, you'll remember she says this to Ruth. This is a beautiful statement. She says, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. For your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me. And more also, if anything but death parts me from you. So they, they arrived to Bethlehem. It's where Naomi's from, hometown. And so it happens to be that they arrived during the barley harvest. And then onto the scene steps Boaz. And Boaz is this wealthy relative of Naomi's husband. And look at chapter two. Chapter two, verse one, describes Boaz as this worthy man. So Ruth, she gets to work immediately. She knows like she's got to get to work. She's got to provide for her mother-in-law. And so she happens to go to, to find work and she goes to Boaz's barley field to work. And she, she actually has no idea that this is a, a relative of Naomi. And she begins to work hard in these fields reaping. And immediately we see that Boaz is drawn to her character. He notices that she's out in these fields and she's working hard. And so he, he, he asks about her after hearing about her connection to Naomi. And he hears that Naomi's returned to Israel. And he, and he heard about Ruth coming with her. He knows Ruth's story. And so he decides to provide protection for her. And he does this because Boaz knows that Israel is, is filled with lawless men. And many of them are likely working in those fields right besides Ruth, perhaps desiring to exploit her and take advantage of her. She's a young single woman and, and actually more vulnerable than that. She's a widowed foreigner. And so Boaz, he, he hears about Ruth. He hears that he's left her family and her country uh, to come to, as Boaz says in, in verse 11 there in chapter 2, he hears that she comes to a people that she does not know. And this tragic story, it, it stirs in Boaz this desire to help her. And so Boaz, he blesses her and he commends her faith. And he says to her in, in, uh, in verses 11 and 12, he says this. He says, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord will repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. 
So he says this incredible uh, blessing to her. And after a long, long day's work, uh, Ruth, she's uplifted and encouraged. And she reports back to Naomi about her experience with this, this man named Boaz who had shown amazing kindness to her, helping her and, and protecting her. And this news, it gladdens Naomi's heart. And she she's becomes just elated with joy. And she speaks this wonderful blessing about him at the end of chapter two. She says, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And it's in this statement that she connects the, the kindness of Boaz to the kindness of the living God. And then she reveals to Ruth, man, that guy, Boaz, this is my relative. And he's actually one of our kinsmen redeemers. Now, just by way of reminder, you know, this, this term, uh, this title, Kinsman Redeemer, it sounds like an awesome title, right? Well, a Kinsman Redeemer uh, was basically just a male relative who, according to the, the various laws of the Pentateuch, now the Pentateuch's just the first five books of the Bible, okay? But according to the laws of the Pentateuch, uh, the Kinsman Redeemer, he had the responsibility to assist and to act on behalf of a relative that was in trouble or danger. And that word, kinsman redeemer in Hebrew, goel, it says goel, it's used various other times in the Old Testament. And what, what that word means actually in the Hebrew, it's, it's amazing. It means one who delivers or rescues someone who, who redeems property or even a person. And so Boaz, he, he meets this criteria. He is that male relative. He's one of those kinsmen redeemers. And so Ruth, she continues to work for Boaz under his protective care. And then we see the Lord begin to provide generously through Boaz for Naomi and Ruth. And so they've moved from, from this, this state of desperation and poverty to at least having food and protection. So then we get into chapter three and we see Naomi's concern for Ruth sort of change. It sort of changes in a bold direction. Uh, there's one Old Testament scholar, his name's Daniel Block, and he suggests that Naomi, at this point in the story, she likely feels obligated to provide a husband, that is, rest and security for her daughter-in-law. And so Naomi, she makes this plan to arrange the marriage engagement of Ruth and Boaz. And per Naomi's advice, Ruth is told to go down to the, to the threshing floor while Boaz is sleeping and request him to take her as his wife. And so she does this. She goes down to the threshing floor. She lays at his feet and Boaz awakens. And it's really amazing what he does. He actually just speaks kind words to her and he calls her a worthy woman. And he assures her, like, don't be afraid. But he also informs her that there's one barrier in this request to become her husband. See, Boaz, he's bound to these kinsman redeemer laws, this Israel customary law. And there happens to be another relative, another redeemer, uh, that's actually first in line to claim Naomi's husband's property and then in turn inherit Ruth as a wife. But Boaz, he assures uh, Ruth in this moment that there is still a possibility and that the matter, it might not actually settle and therefore it would make Boaz her husband. And so that then brings us to the final chapter, chapter four. Um, and we see this glorious close to the drama that is the book of Ruth. And so at the beginning of chapter four, you see some discussion with Boaz and this other redeemer. And the guy uh, actually ends up declining the offer. And Boaz wins the right to acquire the land and take Ruth as his wife. And then you jump down to verse 11 and you see this 
beautiful scene with all the witnesses, the elders and the people pronouncing a blessing over Ruth. And they say this, they say, may the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. Now that blessing is significant because what an incredible legacy Ruth is to carry forward. When we think of Rachel and Leah, these, these were women who they also faced great opposition. But the Lord, through Rachel and Leah, he used them to multiply and fill the earth through their And through their offspring, the nation of Israel came together. In verse 13, we get to this marriage. Boaz and Ruth, they marry, and they have a baby boy. And then we jump to verse 14 and 15. And the women of Bethlehem speak this beautiful blessing over Naomi. It's now, now it's time to bless Naomi. And they say, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. After that blessing, the women, they end up giving uh, the name uh, uh, to the boy. They end up having the opportunity to name him. And so they name him Obed. And then the narrator of the book of Ruth, he, he sort of closes the book by very intentionally highlighting the significance of Obed's royal bloodline that eventually leads to King David. And so this is just an amazing epic. It, it, it's a story that sort of begins by building this, this backdrop for us that, that, that is tragedy and sadness. And then we see the Lord turn something sour into something glorious. And so the questions that I want us to wrestle with, I want us to wrestle with what, what is it that we're supposed to take away from this story? And, and the better question is, what does this story tell us about our God? And so I want us to see I want us to see two realities loud and clear from our study of Ruth. Two realities. The first is this. God seeks sojourners through radical kindness. God seeks sojourners through radical kindness. And the second is this. Jesus is the greater redeemer. Jesus is the greater redeemer. And so let's start with that first reality that God seeks sojourners through radical I want us to start with with a definition. You've heard me use this term sojourner. What what is a sojourner? Well, the technical definition of a sojourner is a person or a group that has migrated from another place to reside in a new location, a a foreign location. And this can be sort of a temporary stay, this can be permanent. But basically, a sojourner is someone who has been on the move, looking to stay or settle in another land. And so this definition of a sojourner, it sort of fits the category of what we might think of today as people who are are migrants or people who are refugees or even various kinds of expatriates. And so this is exactly what Naomi and her family were when they moved to Moab. And this is exactly what Ruth was when she left her land to join Naomi in Israel. And Ruth, I want us to really focus in on Ruth being a sojourner. Now, another term that I want us to be familiar with is this word diaspora. Have you guys heard that term before, diaspora? If you have heard it, it's likely um, that you heard it in the context of the, the Jewish people in the Bible who were taken captive and then dispersed into foreign lands. 
um, the Jewish diaspora is what they, they call it. But this, this phenomenon of uh, diaspora, it's, it's not something that is just merely exclusive to the Israelites. Diaspora movement has been taking place on our planet for millennia. People have been on the move for a long time. But I want us as Christians to be attuned to diaspora movement in our modern era. Because guys, we are in an age of mass migration. There are more people on the move today than ever before in human history. Did you know that today in the world, it is estimated that almost 272 million people, 272 million have uh, left their homelands to live in global, um, in foreign places. So 272 million, and that's like taking the entire population of Indonesia and then spreading it across the world. That's a lot of people. Did you know that out of those 272 million people, almost 26 million of them are refugees? And so refugees are people that have been forced to leave their countries for, for various reasons. And out of those 272 million, did you know 41.3 million of these migrants are what the United Nations calls internally displaced people due to violence and conflict? Well, friends, these, these numbers are staggering. And so the question has to be for us as Christians, what is God doing? Like, why is this happening in the world? And what are we to do with these realities? Well, I think Ruth is so instructive for us as Christians when we think about diaspora movement around the world. I mean, it is a book that is so relevant. I think it's even more relevant in particular for those of us at IBCBI, because we as a church, we're very unique. We, we're International Baptist Church Bukadinda. And so we, we can kind of empathize with Ruth, right? I mean, so many of us, like Ruth, uh, we left our homelands. We left our cultures, our countries, our customs, and, and even, even our heart languages. Now, our motivations might have been different than Ruth's, but regardless of our motivations for moving to Malaysia, we can, in so many ways, we can put ourselves in Ruth's shoes. Many of us understand the immense challenge that it is to leave comfort, to leave familiarity, and, and to go to a foreign land. I know some of you have been in, in Malaysia a bit longer than others, and so maybe you're already comfortable and you, and you sort of feel at home, but we cannot turn our, our eyes, we cannot turn a blind eye to forget the thousands, if, if not hundreds of thousands of sojourners that are around us. There are internationals all around us. I mean, just, just go anywhere in JB and you see people from the nations. We have, there are migrants, there, there are refugees. There are so many different people right where you are in JB and, and, and right where I am in America. People from the nations right in front of us. And friends, you, you can guarantee that many of them, if not most of them, are struggling in various ways with life in a foreign land, and even more so lately. Most of these people are trapped in foreign lands that are held tight with COVID restrictions. Think about the, the homesickness that people are feeling, the, the loneliness. Think about the many uh, people in, in Malaysia that are exploited for their, their labor. Think about the construction workers from Bangladesh. How about the refugees from Myanmar? Hey, how about the, the thousands of international students at UTM? Perhaps they're unable to return to their home countries. They're 
locked down in their dorms. Friends, are our eyes open to the multitudes of sojourners around us? Are we looking out around us? I think the book of Ruth gives us sort of a template for extending kindness to the sojourners around us. Just, just look at the kindness and care that, that Ruth receives here in a foreign land. Look at the way that, that God pursues her through the radical kindness of Boaz. This worthy man who, who provides work for her. He, he protects her from predators. He provides food for her and Naomi. And that kindness, that's not a trivial, shallow kindness. The kindness of Boaz, that's a kindness that's rooted in the pursuing love of God. Are we known for, for this kind of kindness at IBCBI? Are we marked by radical kindness that, that pursues the poor, the marginalized, the lonely? Are we opening our eyes to the destitute? Do we, do we see the sojourners around us in need? Do we see the injustices around us, perhaps with, with domestic workers, construction workers? How about orphans and widows? Friends, I, I pray that it would be so. I pray that our eyes would be open to all of this around us and that we would continue to be marked by radical kindness. But here, here's what I don't want us to forget. I don't want us to forget this. It is not for kindness sake that we are kind. It's not for kindness sake that we are kind. It's because of the radical kindness that was first displayed to us that we are enabled to show kindness to sojourners around us. Friends, we can't forget that God in his infinite kindness, he pursued us, all of us, once spiritual sojourners, wanderers, destitute, and exhausted from, from just the work of, of self-idolatry, self-worship. Such were some of us, right? But in God's kindness, he revealed to us our desperation, our separation, and our need for a Savior. And he sent his son, Jesus, to give his life to rescue us. Friends, we seek others with the kindness that was first displayed to us. May we not forget this. May we not, as, as Paul says in Romans 2.4, remember he says this, he says, May you not presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. It was the ultimate kindness of God, sacrificing his son for our sins that led us to repentance and faith in Jesus. So may we love the sojourners around us with that kindness that was given to us. Friends, God seeks sojourners through radical kindness. Which brings us to the final reality that I don't want us to miss from the story of Ruth. It's this. Jesus is the greater redeemer. Jesus is the greater redeemer. Remember that term, kinsman redeemer. That term that was attributed to Boaz at the end of chapter two. Remember, basically, that was that legal title for a male relative who, according to the, the Pentateuch, that relative had the responsibility to act on behalf of his relative. So he, he had the, the responsibility to take care of a relative in trouble or danger. And so we see that Boaz fits that role in chapter three. And he, he immediately begins to encourage Ruth that, that he can be that person for her. 
Now, of course, there, there were some legal issues that had to be worked out, but we see that eventually in chapter four, he assumes that role and he fulfills that duty in storybook fashion, right? He acquires Naomi's family property. He perpetuates the name of, of her husband and sons. And then he marries the widowed Ruth and he brings her into the family of the nation of Israel. Now, something that is absolutely fascinating, I want you guys to see this here in chapter four, uh, at the very end of chapter four, you're going to see another redeemer is referenced. So look with me at chapter four and beginning with verse 13 says this. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her. And the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap became his nurse and the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying the son has been born to Naomi and so they named him Obed and he was the father of Jesse the father of David don't miss this okay this son this son of Ruth and Boaz Obed he's called a redeemer and it's through this redeemer not, not Boaz but the son it's through him that not only Naomi is going to be cared for into her old age, but it's through Obed's bloodline, it's through the bloodline of this redeemer kinsman that King David eventually comes, a name to be renowned in Israel. And then even better, guys, from that line of David eventually comes who? Jesus, right? The divine son of God, the king of kings, is the product of the bloodline of Obed. And it's that Jesus who enters into the world as the ultimate redeemer. Now, I want you to see some similarities between Boaz and Jesus, okay? So, like Boaz, Jesus, he comes from the town of Bethlehem as well. Both Boaz and Jesus are from Bethlehem, and they're both linked to the tribe of Judah. But Jesus, Jesus is much more than a kinsman redeemer down to a set of laws and, and some transactions. I want you to, to see here in the next few minutes that Jesus is much greater. Actually, Jesus is a greater Boaz. So in Boaz, we're meant to see a great display of redemption through his acts of kindness toward Ruth. But these acts of sort of kinsman redeemer responsibility bound by the law, um, they're great. They're, they're fueled by kindness. But what they're meant to do is actually show us a picture of an even greater reality. Mitch Chase, a, a pastor theologian here in the U.S., um, he says this about the role of kinsmen redeemers in these Old Testament times. He says this, when people acted as kinsmen redeemers for their family, they were imaging the work of Yahweh to the destitute and helpless. They were vessels in the greater Redeemer's hands. The redemption by Boaz was a picture of what God had done and would do for Israel. So it's, it's through this kinsman Redeemer 
role of Boaz, that we're given this beautiful picture of God's redemption for Israel, right? That's a picture that, that recounts God delivering the Israelites from Egypt. It's a picture that sort of points us forward to the, to the future redemption of Israel that, that's going to come. But in Jesus, we're given an even more spectacular picture of God's redemption. We don't see a mere physical salvation of a nation in Jesus, but we see the spiritual salvation of the nations in Jesus. And so what I want you guys to see is that Boaz is actually a mere foreshadow of the Messiah to come. Boaz gives us just a glimpse of what we're going to see in Jesus. Boaz, he, he reached out to Ruth, right? He reached out to Ruth, a widow, destitute, sojourn in a foreign land. But that is only a taste of the kindness we see in Jesus, who in his great mercy reaches out to us, the spiritually destitute, the lost and the wandering sojourners. Boaz gives Ruth material provision in food and in physical protection from lawless enemies that, that would harm her. But Jesus, he provides himself as the bread of life, the only one who can sustain, the only one who can satisfy our deepest spiritual hunger. And Jesus protects us as well, except Jesus, he protects us from our greatest enemy, sin. And sin is not, is not something that merely aims to harm us but to kill us. Sin wants to separate us from the love of God forever. Boaz secures the cost of Naomi's land. He acquires it with his own money, saving these, these two vulnerable wid widows from just a life of poverty. But Jesus, he secures the cost of our eternal debt that we inherited because of our own sin. And he does this by giving his own life on the cross, taking the punishment that, that we deserve for the mess that we made, saving us from our own spiritual destitution and poverty. Boaz takes Ruth, a poor widow, even worse, a, a foreigner from a, a pagan land. He takes her as his own wife and adopts her into the nation of Israel. She gets to inherit all the benefits of citizenship in Israel. But Jesus, he takes us foreigners in a spiritually dead land. He takes us as his own bride, calls us the church. And then he adopts us as well, but he adopts us into the kingdom of God, giving us his spirit. And now as, as the book of Romans tells us in, in chapter eight, tells us that the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Boaz and Ruth, they have a son, Bo Obed, who, who's another redeemer for Naomi. And, and he becomes, as the text says, a, a restorer of life and a nourisher of her old age. And we know that from that redeemer eventually comes the greater redeemer, right? God's own son. But this, this redeemer restores a broken and lost world through his perfect life, death on the cross, and resurrection from the dead. Jesus gives eternal nourishment to all who would repent of their sins and believe in him by faith. Jesus is the greater redeemer. Jesus is the greater Boaz. Friends, my prayer is that from this story of Ruth, I pray that we can, we can see every time we visit it, I pray that we would come back to it again and again. My hope is that we would always see 
our sovereign God of mercy, seeking sojourners through radical kindness. And I also pray that we, in Christ, those of us who know Jesus, that we can display his radical kindness to those around us. And may his kindness, rooted in God's love for us, may that be accompanied by the good news of Jesus, the great Redeemer. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you are our great Redeemer. We're thankful that the way that you redeemed us was without condition. You saw fit to come to us in Jesus and live the perfect life for us. To take the punishment that we deserve for our sin upon yourself on the cross. To then resurrect and, and conquer death and give us life. You are truly our great redeemer. And Lord, we want people all over the world to know this redeemer. The only one who can satisfy our deepest longing. The only one who can give us hope in this, this world that is filled with, with bad news. So God, we want to trust our great redeemer. And we want to trust uh, that you will continue uh, to make yourself known to this world. And we want to trust that you will continue to encourage us through your word. Thank you for this time. We thank you for this church. We pray that we may continue to be faithful. Um, in Jesus' name, amen.